0: This is Particularly Baptist, a podcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sacramento, California. It is May 19th, I'm Pastor Steve Meister, and I am here with the flying Scotsman, Pastor Robert Briggs. Good to see you, Rob. Good to be here, Steve. How are you, brother? Doing well. Doing well. Encouraged that there might be some light at the end of the tunnel here, as our Governor Gav has given us some hope. It's weeks, not months, until our church can reopen.
1: Yeah, I heard that yesterday, and obviously... That was encouraging. I uh, read this afternoon that uh, at least we're going to have drive-through church.
0: If only we were the kind of church that did things by drive-by.
1: Life could be really fun.
0: Could squirt holy water, but we're Baptists. We don't do holy water.
1: Yeah, we definitely don't do holy water, and we definitely don't squirt it. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's been uh, quite an interesting week for us, but uh, I think we're we're moving the right direction. Yeah, I, I think we're moving the right direction. The Lord is continuing to sustain us and. We're praying for our governor. I'm praying for all in authority that uh, they might start to move things along. I know that they're going to be opening the restaurants pretty soon.
0: Yeah, yeah. So really cool. encouraged like that, and it's it's sort of increasing. The conversation we want to have together is on the uh, essential nature of the church, and if, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of language today that um, most of us are sick of. These being unprecedented times, uh, the new normal. Uh, one of them is the that's become front and center for us as a society is the distinction between essential and non-essential. Uh, what do you make of that just in general before we talk about the church?
1: Yeah, we smiled about it 10 weeks ago when we were, I guess, put in the same category as others with the idea that we're now non-essential. Um, but the reality is that when you consider that everybody needs to work to live, uh there's no way that we can really be arguing that there are essential and non-essential workers. I think that that is something that we'll maybe look back on and say that categorization is problematic for our culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the, uh, you know, just speaking personally, I think the government made a misstep with using that as a categorization rather than folding out some guidelines and saying, you know, something to the effect of the... the businesses and organizations that can follow these guidelines can remain open and the ones that can't obviously then need to for public safety to shut down but uh, there's been a sense of arbitrariness it seems at times Um, and it just of course it raises that question who decides what's essential how do they decide that just a whole host of issues where you have then uh, put upon the government decisions that that is a great question you know practically and constitutionally whether they have the prerogative to even make those kinds of decisions
1: Well I think we have identified Steve how challenging it's been for us intellectually just to try and actually work through what exactly is going on because it came so quickly and I think that at higher levels of government um, to actually arbitrarily roll these plans out without them ever really being precedented in history um, at one level you realise that they were doing this on the fly to some extent. And, you know, I understand. I have a lot of sympathy for our leaders that came at them hard. The problem comes that when you go down a path and you start setting certain policy in place and you're not really thinking about it, you're just assuming you made the right decisions, then you keep it going, then the harm that you started off with is only going to get worse. And I think it requires a lot of humility and wisdom uh, to recognise that, well, maybe we moved too quickly on this with these categorizations and it's caused a lot of harm. Maybe now as we're seeing that, thankfully, you know, the numbers are not there, the the healthcare system hasn't collapsed, we flattened the curve, blah, blah, blah. We need to definitely recognize that uh, the quicker we get people back to their jobs and back to uh, being able to support themselves, the better it's going to be for the whole culture. You know, I I watched a very interesting interview this week, I mentioned it to you, uh, one of the... British intellectuals, uh, and he said a very interesting thing that I'd never thought a lot about, but I I want to do a bit more thinking on it. He said, to have a strong health care, you need a strong economy. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a balance between the two. And when you uh, impact your economy, it will, by implication, affect your health care. It just has to do that. And I think that we... uh, He was talking about the United Kingdom situation, National Health Service, very different from America and all that. The point he was making, however, was that if we then lose economically what we need to sustain our health care, well, we've actually lost completely because we were trying to save the health care and we tanked the economy in the mm-hmm. process. We ended up, he called it economic suicide. Mm-hmm. Time will tell how serious it is. I think it's going to be serious. But uh, to your point, it, it, it really ties into this whole issue of the essential and the non-essential. And then for us as, as, as Christians, and the church it's had that impact on us. We're relegated to the non-essential, so we're put out in the third or fourth phase. Not that we don't deny large gatherings have to be looked at uh, and, and considered. We're not, that's not our issue. It's the the, the the categorization problem, maybe the lack of thought at the front end. They just rushed into doing something which was contrary to what conventional wisdom had done in the past, quarantine the sick, minimise and mitigate where we can. Um, and now here we are, and we're sitting here 11 weeks in, and then the lo- it's the longest period in the history of America that Christian churches have not gathered for worship.
0: Right, right. And especially striking when you think of that, uh, at least in the history of the European peoples on this continent, it was for the sake of being able to worship.
1: That's a very good point. I never thought of that, but that's right. Exactly. The reason they came was to actually do that which right now we are being prohibited from doing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the church, essential, -essential. non-essential, what are some things as we just think about what the church is that inform our answer and to a sense to our governing leaders and to the uh, wider community, the argument that we would make uh, for folks that don't understand, that are not Christians, that don't understand uh, who we
1: are? Well, I think part of it comes down to understanding what truly religion is with regards to man. And, and, and fundamentally the responsibility of man to his creator um, and the reality of uh, our constitutional uh, cons- construction that, that en- enshrines there the, 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 the religious liberty that man uh, innately has, should have. Um, and that's one of the great founding principles of America, one of the reasons why people come to America mm-hmm. from all over the world, where mm-hmm. oppression has, has taken its toll. Um, I think that... We have to recognise, however, in this cultural moment, this, this time that we are now living in, that uh, first of all, there's an immense ignorance of what true religion really is and its place in society. I mean, for it to be relegated to a hobby or relegated mm-hmm. to a sporting event is a tragic commentary on the, the fallenness of our culture and, and, and the darkness that has descended upon our, our, our generation. Um, so that's a major issue. Um, recognising an actual fact that the reason why the First Amendment exists is because religion is far more important than mere hobbies or entertainment uh, in the the human uh, experience. And I think that's significant, Steve, at this time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and what you're referring to, obviously, with the, the... I think it was Robert George who said that, you know, our current governing authorities are largely looking at Christianity as a hobby. And you see that reflected in decisions like in our state in California where churches are in phase, the so-called phase three um, with sporting events and theaters and, you know, things you decide to do on a Sunday morning or Saturday weekend. You know, you might go to church, I might go to the beach, and there are, there are the same moral equivalents. And for us, looking at the revelation of Scripture... And this is where, too, our theology of the moral law uh, is really significant. Uh, the co- going back to the covenant of works and what's going on in the garden and the nature of the Ten Commandments. So for us as uh, confessionally Reformed Baptists, those are clear things that we're now standing on as we make our arguments and as we consider these things that worship is actually not an optional activity. It's actually a moral duty. And uh, we can clearly see in Scripture that when worship is willfully neglected, um, of course circumstances prohibit it. Normally, people are sick, what have you. Uh, but when it's willfully and neglected, that that's actually a sin against God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is part of the moral law reflected in the in the Decalogue. And our Confession says: I was just looking up our Confession in uh, paragraph seven of chapter twenty-two that He is God has set a portion of time by His appointment in a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment binding all men in all ages, uh, one day and seven. Um, And so this is not something that's uh, new. It's not something that's even only part of the Mosaic Law. This is something that's um, part of what's been called sometimes creation ordinances inherent to us as image bearers, as people. Worship is is very human. It's central to our humanity. Um, And of course, we don't expect our society that has been punting so much of God's moral law to even more flagrantly in recent generation to understand that, but it remains nonetheless true that worship is a moral duty and obligation we have to God, Um, just like in the the other commands, in the Decalogue of preserving life and uh, not stealing, recognizing the right to private property, all of these things that many of our fellow citizens would recognize, we would need to point out, you know what, alongside all of that is also the obligation to worship God.
1: Right, and, and the apostle Paul makes it very clear, and I think this ties into it, we don't even know what human beings are anymore in no. our culture. You know, mm-hmm. We don't know what an image bearer actually is. Hmm. We don't understand that on the, on, the, on the heart of all men, the work of the law is written because we are actually image bearers. And, and I think that in a culture that is basically dehumanizing people, we don't recognise even gender identity anymore. Uh, we ought not to be surprised then that the, the moral law of God is gone right. because the actual image-bearing uh, aspect of our humanity is, is gone. People are right. ignorant of that as well. And as a result, we are, we're at sea now in a, in a culture that is secularised. The, the, the religion of our culture is secularisation, and, 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 and we might even argue statism at one level. Um, and tragically, uh, many people don't even realize that, such as mm-hmm. the nature of the ignorance of our, our culture. And, and, and sadly, we have to say, Steve, the church uh, has failed miserably because it's given up uh, major fundamental theological truths that are in our confessional standards that we cannot give up, we must not give up. No. And should we give them up, We have no argument when the chaos starts. We have no defense when the chaos starts. Uh, The theology of uh, the state back or or the community back in 1776 was far deeper, even though many were deists and there were Sassinians and all of that. There was a theological grasp of human identity, uh, the moral law, uh, accountability to a creator that we have lost. Yeah. in our culture now. yeah, um, And that's our challenge right now because the church doesn't even know what it believes anymore.
0: Right. I've reflected a lot about that recently and just sort of, we are now reaping what we've sown, speaking broadly as a church in America, in relegating uh, these foundational theological things that Christians have shared for centuries. Uh, in recent generations, um, the relegation of God's law and as as well as just the uh, adoption of pragmatic dis- principles over being biblically principled and theologically convinced. Uh, I even thought of, you know, it's pretty hard to argue for the essential nature of the church when you've canceled it the Sunday after, Christians, after Christmas because everybody wants a bit of a break. Uh, once you start making these kinds of pragmatic and, and really just kind of thoughtless decisions, you, you put yourself in a really precarious position to then now argue or defend or promote the essential function of the church gathered for corporate worship when it's become to you an arbitrary and a, a thing of a preference or even taste, maybe. You know it's, it's become an optional activity that Christians can partake in rather than something that we've seen unbroken in God's law and then consistently upheld in the New Testament uh, that the first day of the week is the Lord's day, which is, which is we won't get into the weeds on that, but that is a a uh, lexical or, or equivalent in the language to the fourth commandment of, of a day set apart to the Lord our God. And it's a day that belongs to the Lord Jesus because of his resurrection from the dead. And Christians have met on that day for 2,000 years in celebration and in joy and in corporate worship to, uh, um, to raise his name and to and to hear from his word. So really a lot of the concessions that we've made to our culture and a lot of the bad arguing and the bad uh, decision-making we've made for our ministries is come back to bite us in this situation.
1: There's no doubt, I think, that uh, various tributaries that have flowed over the last 100 years, 150 years in American church life uh, are contributing now to the fact that the church has no theological uh, depth to defend its position in a context where we're basically relegated to nothing different than going to the cinema or, you know, going to the beach or whatever. Um, And we need to be clear on that as Christians in our day because I think the Lord in his providence is facing us amongst many things with, Mm -hmm. uh, will your theology hold in the storms of life? Mm -hmm. Because right now uh if you don't have a solid grasp of the moral law of god if you don't have a solid grasp of the church the doctrine of the church if you don't have a grasp then of the, you know the, the the headship of christ over his church and his authority in his church and the keys of the kingdom being given to the church you don't have any way uh to get back to the shore mm-hmm. uh that we've been cast adrift in the ocean of well we'll, get, we'll let the churches Get back to worship whenever we remember that the churches are around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't we can't uh, expect to take a stand on righteousness when we don't even necessarily know what righteousness is. Mm-hmm. That's my big challenge for us, Steve. I think right now, and I think as as pastors of a confessional Reformed Baptist church, we want to you know encourage our people to understand these things. These are confessionally, biblically, historically important truths that we must all understand and we must all embrace if we're going to stand firm on a day when the, 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 the waves of secularism are crashing in around us mm. um, and we're we're, we're, being, we're being swept in a direction that we we, we we must not go we must stand firm and I think that as pastors and we know it's been challenging for us it's been very demanding mentally we've been you know reading and studying and, and, and discussing on so many fronts But one of the great blessings for us, I do believe, is the fact that we can open our confession and we can see our standards are still, you know, they help us to remind us of things our forefathers understood. You know, we know that it was the Baptists that put into the Constitution the religious liberty issue. And uh, they did it because they had a theological understanding, a a robust biblical grasp of key issues Mm -hmm. uh, that we cannot and we must not give up uh, as Christians uh, right. in our generation, and this is our hour this is our crisis. this is our challenge uh, and we've got to check our foundations are sound and our, our theology is clear and and, and we've got to be thinking through the application of our understanding of 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 what the church is and mm-hmm. what the gospel is and and how the law of God applies to the Christian life and to the to the civil magistrate right right, right.
0: yeah undoubtedly our theology is now coming to the fore and you're seeing that all around the church in America uh, the theology or the lack thereof is now all being brightly seen and that's that's typical it's i mean you don't need to have a lot of theological definition when everything's going fine and it's typically when the when the chips are down and when things are bad now is where we really find those distinctions and those nuances that were so carefully thought through in our confession and in sound theolo- theological writings, they all now suddenly come to the fore and become not just counting, you know, the proverbial counting angels on a pin. These are really significant uh, right. distinctions that we need to make and learn how to distinguish. And we
1: have to remember that they were they were hammered out on the anvil of tumultuous conflicts in the English-speaking world in the 17th century. Right. You know, the, the Westminster divines gathered during a civil war. right, The the republic lasted 11 years, maybe, if you take it from 49 to 50 to 60, when the king came back. Then there was the whole battle over who was in charge of the church once again, mm-hmm. and the state. And, 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 and our confession comes at the end of that period, when Baptists had suffered uh, a lot of oppression and persecution from the returning king. Um, and so our forefathers hammered out their theology on the, in the, uh, the crucible of crisis and conflict. Right. So, so it sharpened them. And, and we get the legacy of that today. And we've had it so good for so long, Steve. You know, we, we, we become complacent. You become, oh, we don't need to know our theology that well. Well, now we're realizing theology matters. Mm-hmm. It's hugely important. And, and I think we've appreciated the blessings of having a clear confessional standard on these things that we can stand on the shoulders of giants who have gone before us to figure out in our weakness how do we deal now with what God in His providence, because He clearly has done that's brought upon us. And I think for us as a church, we're, we're desirous that we would bear a good testimony uh, to the faith once and for all delivered yeah, to the saints. Yeah.
0: And of course, in these kind of conflicts, You start with defining our terms, and perhaps the one that needs so clearly to be defined for uh, the Christians and for the church and the world is the word church, Uh, the word church itself. I, I often joke that my favorite passage on the church in the Bible is Acts 19.32, and there it reads, Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Now, I like that passage because it's often true of some members meetings I've been to at times. And is, yeah, is it's it... not
1: talking about the,
0: the new covenant community. It's no, it's not. It's, talking, not. About, it's <laughs> talking about something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good it, point though. It's talking about the assembly of in Ephesus actually right. that it rose up and it's not the church at all. But the word translated assembly, at least in the English Standard Version, the ESV, is ecclesia, the word translated right. church. And I like to point to this passage just to remind us that what church means is assembly. It means congregation. Right. It's not a building. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It is a gathering of people, and that's really necessary to remind us again when we're in this time where uh, gatherings have been temporarily banned, and we've even had some. I've read and heard from some, whether in the government or just in society, that have said that, you know, not gathering is no inhibition on your your faith or your practice. You can still worship over live stream or at home or whatever, and. And belying all that is time out. The word church means gathering. It means assembly. So to say that uh, gathering is not essential for the church is really to be checked out of even what we're talking about. It is vital. And in a very real sense, we are not the church when we're not gathered, right. uh, that that's what it means, is that we are those who get together in the worship of God as members of one another. That's thats who we are, it's fundamental right. to us.
1: Yeah, right now we are scattered, we are not gathered, and we need to understand that very clearly. I think that uh, because of you know the use of the word and the, uh, all of that, we don't always think it through the way we need to, but we, should, we it's vitally important. God has always had a, a covenant community, Mm-hmm. that he over the history of the world over the history of redemption he gathers out uh, he did it with Israel as his old covenant community and now he's doing it with a new covenant community the Christian church um, and that means a gathering there are there are times when we actually gather together to do what God has commanded us to do as a gathered community and that is central Not not an appendix. That's central to our Christian life. And when we are not able to do that, then our Christian life is seriously being impaired and hindered. And spiritually, there is a suffering that is taking place that we need to recognize and lament. I think that lamentation of it, that we should be lamenting this. There should be no reason for us. Sundays, for me, are a heavy day of sorrow because I'm not gathering with God's people to worship God with the people I love the most in the world. And I think that uh, many Christians don't understand that because either they've not been taught it or they've never bothered to study it out for themselves. Um, and sadly then, there's that shallowness of understanding uh, in America uh, where church is an add-on. It's a I I go, but you know maybe there's something better to do today or I just can't be bothered getting up to go to church today if I'm too tired. Instead of this, and actually, you know what it is? This is where we meet God in a way that we do not meet him anywhere else. Recognizing that reality is what God has ordained. The presence of Christ amongst his people. uh, The gathering of the saints before Christ to come to the Father. This is uh, where God meets with us, Steve, in a way that he doesn't anywhere else. And I think people have a very low view of church because they have a theologically... Uh, anemic understanding of what ecclesia means and what God actually is saying to us in his word when he says that he calls us to gather before him in the name of his son.
0: Right, and it carries over, we see so clearly in the New Testament in places like 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2 where the church is called God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you. Right. The visible manifestation of the presence of God on earth is not a structure in Jerusalem any longer. It is now the gathering of the saints in worship in Christ. We are the temple. And so that it is not ancillary to the gospel or the redemptive work of God in the world for the church to be gathering. It's actually central to it. When you think about what God is doing in Christ, calling out from a world of sinners in rebellion against him to himself in Jesus Those by his spirit who are brought to faith and repentance and united to his son and gathering them together from every tribe, tongue, people and nation. And the church then as it's gathered in worship testifies and manifests his presence and power and is the testimony uh, to the work of God in Christ to the world. That's why you see places in Scripture like 1 Timothy 3.15, that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth right. that holds it up. Or, or 1 Peter 2.9, that you've been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is the church that does this. And so the, our gathering cannot be construed as one activity among many that we do. Right. And I've, I've read even some Christians that are making this argument. Well, well, we do a lot of things. We're not allowed to do the gathering thing, but that's okay. We'll get back to it one day. no. <laughs> We do gathering. Everything else is elective. Right. You know, If we serve the poor or start rescue missions or, or other activities and organizations, all of that is good and fine for Christians and churches to do. But those are all electives. Those are all opportunities. What is actually central, what is non-negotiable, is that we are together uh, testifying to the grace of God amongst a diversity of people who are now one in Christ and worshiping him. Uh, it is not at all ancillary activity to... Uh, the Christianity. The gathered church is fundamental at the heart of our uh, faithfully following Christ.
1: Right and I think that's why now 11 weeks into this crisis we are really struggling and wrestling now with the fact that it's long overdue that since we gathered we recognize why we had to suspend that and it was lawful and there was nothing wrong with that but now we're asking serious issue questions. Regarding, you know, we cannot stay in this state uh, ad infinitum. Uh, we must change track, but we want to do it respectfully, lawfully. We're trying to understand what's happening, but our people are suffering uh, under the weight of this, and we're trying to discern the constitutional elements, the legal elements, the theological elements. Well, the theological elements are settled. We must gather. When it will be, how it will be—that's the challenge that we're at now, right? And trying to work it out. But it's a—it's a non-negotiable issue for us. To be the church means to be the gathered. Right. That's what it means. Right. And we must clearly understand that. So when we're not the gathered, it's abnormal, and we must move back toward that which is honouring to the Lord and normal. Right. And I think that's what we're really at—that we're at that point now, trying to figure
0: out when that is. Right. And and that's the the discussion or the reminder, really, that we need to give our governing authorities now and our communities that us not gathering is not like the movie theater being closed. It's not like um, uh, the sports arena having to be closed or to augment itself. This is central to our faith and practice and our, our constitutional rights. But even more, it's where we draw the line then of when we start considering obeying God rather than man, and really the overreach of governing authority. We believe the government has the prerogative under God to preserve and protect life, and we are thankful for that. If our church building is on fire, we want the fire department to come. If we are being harassed unjustly by our community, we want the police to come. We want our mayor and our supervisor, county supervisors to respond. So we believe they have purview over us in, when there's reasonable threats and, and danger, uh, the, the the trouble we then run into and in the argument then we have is when they perceive we perceive them to be making claims of what's essential not essential to our faith, and that's where we have to draw the line. Said no, you're 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 not understanding this. You should be asking um, first about that, not telling me what's essential to my faith. Um, and they do need to understand that the church being gathered is not is not a a sideline to the Christian life. It is at the very heart of it. Our Sunday gatherings are not something we do on the weekends and then we get to what we really want to do. That's actually the highlight of the week. The week begins on Sunday. It's not a second Saturday. It's the first day of the week. And so it is absolutely central and vital to our life as Christians.
1: Right, and I think that the definition that we have from the Scriptures of what the church is is what must guide us. And the challenge for us is that in the circumstance that we face right now, which is the, the government saying for public health you cannot gather, in that circumstance we are now prevented from partaking in the elements of our worship. I don't believe the government is telling us at this point what the elements are per se. I mean, if they say mm-hmm. you can't sing or you can't have the Lord's Supper, well, you're stepping into my realm. Right. What we're wrestling with now is are the are the claims of the circumstance legitimate at this point because they hinder the practice right. of our faith. Right. And that's the tension that we've been feeling as we're trying to you know, be good citizens. We want to be good citizens to our, our state of California. We love California. We, we want to be good citizens in our, in our city and in our community. But we also have, were first and foremost Christians being stopped from doing that which is fundamental to our actual relationship with God. And now we've got to figure out how is it lawful, is it not lawful, Uh, Because here's the reality. The church is not non-essential. The church is essential. Uh, It's essential for us as Christians, but actually the unbelieving world doesn't realize it's actually essential for them too because it's actually the lifeboat that right. they need to get into yeah. in order to be saved from the judgment of God and to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that's the tragedy of it. It's almost like a double jeopardy mm-hmm. uh, that the, the state has got itself into, the secularist gets himself into. now we understand why, because they don't see it the way we see it. But that doesn't change God's divine truth. Right. And that doesn't change the gospel that they need to hear. And that doesn't change the reality of what the church truly is, In the eyes of God as he sits in heaven.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And even as our brother Jonathan Lehman has said, churches are like embassies from the future. We are the beginnings of the new humanity God is making in Christ. And we're here to testify fundamentally to that and to call our fellow citizens and neighbors and friends to him and to join us uh, because this is what the world is going to look like. It's going to look like the church. We're actually not only essential now, we're actually eternal and we're actually the only group of people and organization the that only is going one. to last uh, the into the ages. Right. That's exactly. probably a good note uh, for us to, to end on and maybe even next time pick up some of the key fundamental factors of the elements of worship. I think that might be good to yeah. to tease out and keep going with.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that as we, you know, we go forward prayerfully, we're not in we're not cavalier about this. We know it's been a heavy weight on our shoulders to love our people and guide our people and we know our people are largely doing well. Uh, but we know that there's, the burden is there. Um, that As we think through the issue of the essential nature of the church, it'll be good for us to think through, well, what is that actually about
0: mm-hmm.
1: as we come back next time? But, yeah, uh, yeah good, good. good time. It's good to chat about these things, Steve. Thanks for the opportunity again today to spend some time with you.
0: Absolutely. Good to talk to you, brother.